0: Here we go again, another day, another police officer shooting a violent criminal. seems like you can't turn on the news anymore without seeing these sorts of stories. Enough is enough. It is long past time in this country that we had a national conversation about the discriminatory practice in many police departments to target people who are committing crimes. That is discrimination. We will have that conversation. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. Rank discrimination. They discriminate between the people committing crimes and the people not committing crimes. They discriminate between the people committing crimes and the people who are having crimes committed against them. That's discrimination. My favorite comment yesterday from Timothy Brinson who says when the justice system loses its integrity the mob can get away with anything yes absolutely true it's a simple point but it's totally true and it's this point that i think some people on the more libertarian right they don't want to acknowledge sometimes which is that there will be order order will be instituted either we can order our own lives and we can tamp down our own passions or we can through our politics have, have a system of justice that will maintain order or a bunch of roving street mobs are going to institute their own sort of order. But order will be maintained. And as the justice department crumbles and as liberty is confused for licentiousness, the mobs are ruling. That's the way it is. This was not always the case. Even in the recent past, we had a, a far greater semblance of order. If you want to remember the recent or distant past, I would strongly recommend Legacy Box. Legacy Box this is a super simple mail-in service to have all your videotapes, camcorder tapes, film reels, and pictures digitally preserved on a thumb drive, DVD, or at the cloud. Legacy Box is a way for you to easily and affordably preserve your past. The process from start to finish is super duper easy. You pack and send your media. Their team digitizes everything by hand you enjoy. That's it. You get back perfectly preserved digital copies on thumb drive, DVD, or the cloud, ready to watch, share, and enjoy. I've mentioned to you, I had lost some, all of my photos actually of a beloved family member who had died. I lost them before I really knew about Legacy Box. I then found a few more that someone else gave me. I mailed them in. I was so happy to have them. I thought this is great. But just the other day in New York, I came across the photos. I found them. First thing I'm going to do when I get them back in my possession is nail them to Legacy Box and digitize them. Then I will have them forever. Get started future-proofing your memories today so you can gather the family and begin the trip down memory lane. Go to LegacyBox.com slash to get an incredible 40% off your first order. by today to take advantage of this exclusive offer and send it in when you're ready. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Save 40% while supplies last. The libs are defending the stabbing of children, They are. They are doing that to own the conservatives or to own the cops or to own the white people or to, I don't know. They're just doing it to push their narrative. But they are actually now in the position of defending teenage girls stabbing other teenage girls just so that a cop won't intervene, just so they can't give the cop credit for what he did right. You've probably heard about this story by now. If you haven't, a Columbus police officer shot 16 year old Makia Bryant. This, now that the Derek Chauvin trial is over, the left needs some new case to focus on to pretend that the country's really racist and terrible and black people are always being attacked and white people are the devil. So they're focusing on this case. So poor little 16-year-old Makia Bryant cut down in her prime by a racist, vicious cop. Except for this very inconvenient fact that we only know about because of body camera footage, which was that As uh, when the cop shot Makia Bryant, she was inches away from stabbing another girl. We've got the footage. Cop gets out of his car, walks up. There's some kind of altercation going on. Okay, someone gets knocked to the ground. And now a girl, there it is. Girl gets shot. The girl gets shot. And she is inches away from stabbing with a steak knife another young girl. It all, it all kind of goes into this melee when this first person on the side goes down, the cop is turned facing the person who goes down. Cop pulls out his, his gun. you got, you've got the footage right there. This girl, Makia Bryant is wielding a giant knife, wraps it around on the side, is about to plunge it down into this other girl, is inches away from it. And then the cop rightly shoots the attacker. That is the only thing that he could do while still doing his job and pursuing justice. A just society would give this cop a medal. A just society would give this cop an award. He saved a girl's life and shot a knife wielding attacker. Our society is going to try to destroy him, is going to try to put him in prison, is going to try to ruin his family is going to call him a racist because he shot one black girl to save another black girl who was about to be stabbed by the first black girl. But that makes him a racist somehow. That's what's going to happen here. Some people want to, they want to say, look, can't we just all get along? Can't we just have it both ways? Can't, look, maybe he shouldn't have done that. But, you know, look, I guess the girl had a knife, but, you know, maybe he shouldn't. It's just a really sad thing it's a tragedy. We'll get to the tragedy in a second because we have to get through some of the, the stupid questions surrounding this first. I kid you not, there is the suggestion on the left that the officer should have not shot, shot the victim, shot the perpetrator rather, shot to kill. He should have just sh- shot her in the ankle or something, shot her in the wrist, shot, her in the, shot the gun right out of her hand. This was a question posed to the police chief yesterday.
1: Chief, one of the big questions that has been
0: asked primarily on social media and it may seem like a silly question that like should people already know but this is a legitimate question that a lot of people are asking is can an officer shoot the leg can they shoot somewhere that would not result in a fatal wound right so a lot of people have said couldn't he have just shot her in the leg so she dropped couldn't he have shot her in the arm something like that All right you That's know Monica. okay we got to pause it right there before we get to his answer because he, this cop is pretty diplomatic here, and, but I will not be diplomatic. This is an extremely dumb question. <laughs> the, basically, what this reporter is asking, and look, I'm not even knocking on the reporter. The reporter is just channeling what a lot of very stupid, ignorant people on the internet are saying. He's basically asking, hey, Um, couldn't, couldn't the cop have shot the knife out of the girl's hand without harming her like Clint Eastwood in the good, the bad and the ugly. Couldn't the cop have had, you know, when he heard that harmonica come on, (laughs) couldn't he have just whipped out his gun, shot the knife out. And then, you know, the girl, she would have looked really startled like the, like the other guy in the good, the bad and the ugly. And then, but then they all kind of would have laughed about it. No one would have gotten hurt. Couldn't that come on. I saw it. I, I saw it in the movies. That's the question. No, that's not, I I won't, I won't even explain why you can't do that. I will allow the expert, the cop to explain why that is not such a great idea.
2: One of the, uh, the difficult things with that is um, when you're trying, we, we don't train to shoot the leg because. That's a small target. We train to shoot center mass. What is available to stop that threat? There was a threat going on, a deadly force threat that was going on. So the officer is trained to shoot center mass, the largest part part of a body that is available to them. When you try to start shooting legs or arms, uh, rounds miss, and then they continue on. And there are people behind that that could be in danger that are not committing anything. Uh, so we try and minimize any danger to anyone else if we have to use our firearm
0: when you pull out a firearm in real life, that is not a video game. When you pull out a, you're not playing around. It's not, here's a warning. Someone, I actually saw someone say on Twitter, why couldn't he fire a warning shot into the air? Like he's a Mexican gangster. Oh, you know, because I don't know if you're aware of this. Bullets, when they go up, eventually because of gravity, they come back down. And if you're just shooting into the air, When they come back down, it might not work out too well for you or for an innocent bystander. Why couldn't he just shot her in the leg? One, she's moving like crazy. Two, actually, I'm sorry. The first consideration here is she's got a knife inches from this girl's body. She's got a knife coming down very quickly on this girl's body. So shooting her in the leg, probably not a smart idea, even if it did work. Second, leg, very, very small area, moving very rapidly. You've got lots of people around. You don't need bullets spraying everywhere. When you pull out a weapon and you shoot that weapon at somebody, you are shooting to kill that person. That's just the way it works. That's what guns do. That's what guns are for. And by the way, cops have guns for a reason. Cops have guns to stop bad guys from doing bad things like this girl who was trying to stab. And by the way, when you're stabbing, you're not, you're not just playing games either. When you pull a knife out and you stab somebody, you are trying to kill that person. And this cop saved that girl from getting killed by that other girl. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Or in our very degraded culture, race-obsessed culture, cynical culture, it's an act of racism. And I'm not saying it's just some kook nut idiot on the internet. This is what is being pushed without any evidence, actually in the face of all the evidence by the White House. Jen Psaki mouthing off on a subject about which she knows nothing to gain political advantage by smearing people as racists.
3: The killing of 16 year old Michaela Bryant by the Columbus police is tragic. She was a child. We're thinking of her friends and family and the communities that are hurting and grieving her loss. We know that police violence just proportionally impacts Uh, Black and Latino people in communities and that Black women and girls, like Black men and boys, experience higher rates of police violence. We also know that there are particular vulnerabilities that children in foster care, care, like Micaiah, face. And her death came, as you noted, just as America was hopeful of a step forward after the traumatic and exhausting trial of Derek Chauvin and the verdict that was reached. So our focus is on um, working to address systemic racism and implicit bias head on. And of course, to passing laws and legislation that will put much needed reforms into place at police departments around the country.
0: Implicit bias. It's, uh, It's racism. It's what am I basing that on? Nothing. Well, I'm probably what the, the victim, the person who was about to be stabbed, was that a white person? No. Okay. It wasn't a white person. Ah, it's too bad. That would have made my argument easier. Well, whatever. It's just, it's racism. You know, everything's racism. It's implicit too. So if the fact that I can't point to it proves how, you know, super duper implicit and racist it is. She was 16 years old. She was, she was a child, 16 years old. The same Democratic Party that tells us that 16-year-olds are adults and should vote also tells us they're just children. They don't know anything. They can't do anything. The same Democratic Party that tells us that a three-year-old can choose to mutilate himself and castrate himself and take cross-sex hormones because he knows that he's really a girl even if he's a boy and the adults can't tell him nothing because he knows and he's got the freedom to choose also tells us that a 16-year-old wielding a knife trying to kill somebody was, you know, just a, just a child. Come on, you can't do that. Come on, man. By the way, even if she was just a child, if that child is trying to kill another child and you've got less than a second to intervene, either you're going to let the one child die or you're going to kill the child trying to kill the other child you've still got to do it. You've still got to use that force. That's a tough world. That's a real tragedy. Split second decisions. By the way, by the way, when you want to do things for yourself, I know that in this culture, we're not allowed to do anything for ourselves and everything has to be everybody else's problem. When you want to do something for yourself, like fixing your car, I would highly recommend you go check out Rock Auto. RockAuto.com always has the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on a bunch of gimmicks. So, you know, Tuesday it's 30% off and then Wednesday it goes up 10% again or why would you do that? Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Like for instance, say you happen to need a Delphi FG1456 fuel pump assembly for 2005 to 2010 Honda Odyssey and it costs, I'm just spitballing here. $354 at a big chain store. Okay. Well, that's the sort of thing that you could get at rockauto.com for 217 bucks. Wow. That's pretty good. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts. Go to rockauto.com. The catalog is so easy to navigate. Even I can do it. Great selection. you get all the parts that you need for your car or truck. Then you can write Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S in their How did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you. The shooting of Micaiah Bryant is a tragedy. That is what we are being told. In a sense, it is. In a, I'll tell you how it's not, and then I'll tell you how it is. The reason it's not a tragedy is because it is good when people who are trying to stab other people are shot. That's a good thing. Because those people who are trying to stab and very likely kill other people are committing a very heinous act and when they are prevented from doing that by a bullet that's a good thing. I know that's it's a, a hard saying, it's hard to understand, it's hard to look down this fallen world right as it is and say that it is good to kill people before they can murder other people as they are trying to murder other, it's hard because we don't want to say it's not, it's awful to shoot anybody. But when we're talking about gradations here, when we're talking about difficult choices, it's better to kill the criminal than to let the criminal kill an innocent person. It is positively good, a good decision. To do that. Now, how is it a tragedy? It's a tragedy because this girl, Micaiah Bryant did a very bad thing. And it's, it's, sad, it's actually sad to watch people face the consequences for their bad actions. And I'm sure this girl had a tough life. I think she was in foster care. She obviously did not have a good family. She obviously was not raised right. She obviously was not educated. She obviously was not prevented from making bad, evil choices. We're, we all have that inclination. We all have that broken human nature. Some of us have better support systems than others. So that that is genuinely tragic. I don't want. I, I I know that conservatives, in pushing back on the leftist narrative here, sometimes we go a little too far. No, this girl had bad circumstances, and she made evil decisions, and it is actually sad. Even criminals, even Even the worst criminals. It is sad, tragic to watch them go down that path. Because it doesn't have to happen. It's not inevitable. Contrary to the left's fatalist narrative, that everyone other than straight white men is just a passive figure. Only straight white men, according to the left, are fully human, with intellect and will, who can are in control of their lives. Everyone else according to that ideology, is just some passive figure who has moved around at the whims of straight white men. That's not true. That's not true. The girl had, has free will, had free will. The Girl had some intellect. The girl could have used that the right way. She used it the wrong way. Now as a, as a direct consequence of her actions, she is dead. Yep. That's, that's a sad fact of this world. And the officer totally did the right thing and he should be commended for what he did and he should be given an award. LeBron James disagrees with that. The mob is already coming after, after this police officer. The mob being led by this zillionaire athlete idiot, LeBron James, who tweeted out his picture and said, all caps, you're next with a, with a, an hourglass. And it says, hashtag accountability. Accountability is the new word that the left is using instead of justice, because what the left is calling for is not justice, because justice is an objective, eternal thing that we perceive and try to pursue in our lives. Accountability is totally a social fact. Accountability is just responsiveness, responsibility. It's just, it's just what I demand from you, well, that then you are accountable to me, but it's not based on anything objective or eternal. I actually think that's the distinction at the heart here between accountability and justice. So he's saying, yeah, we're coming for you, cop. Hero cop who did the right thing and saved a life. We're coming for you. LeBron James deleted that tweet. That's good. Glad he recognized he was wrong. But then he sent out this tweet afterward and he just talked about, you know, it's the being used for bad things, might And the racism, but I'm sick of it. It's awful. It's terrible. Nobody. No, no, you don't get it. You don't get it, LeBron. You don't get that it was absolutely right and just for that cop to shoot Micaiah Bryan. I don't think he could have behaved any more appropriately. Because he it's not like he she runs out of the house and he just starts shooting. He waited until the knife was inches from the other girl. And then he shot her. That's a good you should, LeBron James, not when you apologize, when you take that tweet down not only should you apologize for that tweet, you should thank that cop for doing his job and for pursuing justice. And you should say, I, LeBron James, a total dummy, was wrong. I, I leapt to a conclusion that was not right. Thank you, sir, for pursuing justice. You think that's going to happen? I don't think so. Because LeBron's a victim. Don't you know? LeBron James can't leave his house without being hunted down by racist white people. Is that so? LeBron, he's, he is this poor, aggrieved man who lives in a world of white privilege. I do not want to be lectured by LeBron James on privilege. I, you almost can't blame LeBron here for the same reason that you feel bad for criminals. You also feel bad for totally benighted, ignorant idiots like LeBron James because I think he genuinely believes this stuff, flies in the face of objective reality, flies in the face of everything we see. I think LeBron James really does believe that he's a victim, that he has legitimate grievance, that this country a black man can't make it in this country. LeBron, Le, he thinks this from his, I, I imagine, golden palace that he's from his throne that he's sitting on in his zillion dollar house, one of the most beloved for whatever reason and wealthy and famous people in the country. Can't make it though, because of the color of his skin, right? He believes, and I'm not, I'm not being facetious when I say I sort of feel bad for his deep ignorance. He has been raised in a culture that increasingly teaches people this sort of thing. LeBron's a little too old to have been totally educated this way, but younger people are educated this way. This is what they are told. This is what you're taught by critical race theory, for instance, which is very much in the news these days. Critical race theory is a derivation of critical theory, which is part of this radical cultural upheaval that began 100 years ago or more, and that has flowered into political correctness and wokeism and cancel culture. I explain this history at length in my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, available now for pre-order. You can get it right now. The critical race theory part, it's just part and parcel of it, but what it tells you is you can't make, this is a hopelessly racist, bigoted, terrible country, and you can't make it, so you got to hate the system and tear it down. What are we going to do about that? Well, Oklahoma state senators are finally figuring it out, much more so, I mean, they're they're really leading on this issue compared to so many of the squishes around the country in, in the Republican Party. Oklahoma State Senators have introduced a bill to ban critical race theory from public schools and universities. This would uh, prohibit teachers and administrators and other staff from teaching that one race or sex is inherently superior to another, not allowed to do that anymore. That an individual by virtue of his race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. That is being taught as gospel truth in boardrooms and universities and schools right now. That will be banned. An individual should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment solely or partly because of his or her race or sex. Yep, that's being taught. Members of one race or sex cannot and should not attempt to treat others without respect to race or sex. That is being taught. An individual's moral character is necessarily determined by his or her race or sex. That is being taught. And all this stuff would be banned. This has to be banned. I've said before, there were three positions on this poison in the classroom. There's the position where you support it and you say, yeah, we want all this leftist stuff. That's great. Let's go along with it. That's terrific. Then there's the position of, well, it shouldn't be mandatory, but it can be taught if the schools want it to be taught. And then there's the conservative position. No, academic freedom is a hoax to use the term of William F. Buckley Jr. This is a a farce, uh, just a, a trick of political correctness that the left has used to destroy our culture. Education is necessarily limited, exclusive, coercive, we're going to teach some things. We're not going to teach other things. We're going to bring some things into the classroom. We're going to ban other things from the classroom. And one of the things we're going to ban is this poison, this trash, critical race theory, not going to allow it in. And you know what, teachers, if you do teach this, you'll be punished. Maybe you'll be fired for it. But Michael, what about freedom? Yeah. What about freedom? This undermines freedom. This thing, there is a thought that stops thought. And that is a thought that ought to be stopped. The, the position of critical race theory is that objective reality is an illusion. Our faculties of reason are fake and the country's evil and uh, deeply unjust in all its institutions, including the educational ones. If you allow that idea to fester, you undermine the whole thing. You undermine our conception of liberty. You undermine the whole country. Got to get rid of it. Got to kick it out. Got to get a lot tougher. Ben will be talking about Mr. LeBron James today, his Cop Hating America, Uh, go check out his show later on and then get ready for Candace's show. Got a great Candace Owens show coming up on Friday. If you're not already a member, you're missing out on Candace, the newest talk show here by Candace Owens. This week's episode is a major truth bomb as Candace dives right into the Derek Chauvin trial verdict and gives her breakdown on George Floyd's death. It's certain to be very politically correct. Uh, you do not want to miss this week's special guest, also Dana White, president of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, which is the largest MMA organization in the world. Show streams on Fridays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, only, only at dailywire.com. You can also get 25% off a new membership with code Candice. Head on over to Daily Wire. We'll be right back with a lot more. We're going to need tough, serious people in our politics to bring our country back from the brink and we may be getting one. Not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need. That would be Mark McCloskey. You'll remember Mark McCloskey and his wife holding those, he had the, the it looked like an AR-15. She had that little James Bond gun and when BLM started storming up and breaking their property. They did not roll over, they did not lie down, they did not say, please take whatever you want because of your claims of historical grievance. And no, they pulled out their guns and pointed that at them and said, get off my property. Get off my lawn. I said get off my lawn now. So they also did this while wearing their like great Brooks Brothers, you know, pink polo shirt, white chinos, or, you know, khaki-colored chinos. Anyway, I was hoping that either the McCloskeys would become magazine cover models for the cover of the new J Press catalog, or that they would get involved in politics. Looks like it's going to be the latter. By the way, I spoke to Mark McCloskey right when all this happened, because there was a rumor that he's a Democrat or something and supported BLM. He said, that's just not true. (laughs) He does not do that. He gave like 50 bucks once to his Democrat buddy who was running for dog catcher or something, but he's a lifelong conservative Republican. So he is uh, considering running for US Senate in Missouri. My hot take on this, I don't really know very much about Mark McCloskey. I don't know anything really about the other candidates for Senate. But my, my first gut really analytical reaction is awesome, great, super cool, great, love that. Love, I'm really glad he's running for Senate. I don't, I don't know about his political philosophy. I don't know his, his intricate ideas about entitlement reform or something like that. I don't, I don't know about his personal history. Here's what I do know. That guy stood up to BLM when it counted. When, when it was getting real, when it was on the line, when a, a violent, angry mob came to destroy his property and threaten him and his wife, he stood up to them. And he faced legal threats because of that. Didn't care. Faced physical threats, obviously, because of that. Didn't care. He stood up to defend not just his property, not just his life, but to defend what is right to stand up for justice that gives him, I think, a real, real advantage in the race. All the jokes about how great they looked, you know, in the polos and the guns and everything. That actual, those images did represent something. They weren't just memes. They actually represented a stance for justice. Very few people are willing to do that. In Washington, gives him, gives him a very good advantage. Speaking of some people who actually do stand up for tough things in Washington, they're few and far between. Senator Ted Cruz, my co-host on Verdict, Uh, Senator Cruz absolutely nailed this issue of election fraud and the double standards and this massive left-wing power grab. He had Stacey Abrams, the fake governor of Georgia, who refused to admit that she lost the governor race, pretended that she won the race, never faced any adverse consequences from that. Even though now we're told if you ever question an election, you're going to be deplatformed and ostracized and censored. If you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, you have to question the elections that you lose. Ted Cruz had Stacey Abrams right in front of her. He said, hey, just once and for all, do you admit you lost the election?
2: Ms. Abrams, it's been over two years and you still refuse to concede that you lost the race for governor in Georgia in 2018. You have said that quote you do not concede that the process was proper and that quote they stole it from the voters of georgia yes or no today do you still maintain that the 2018 georgia election was stolen
3: as i have always said i acknowledged at the very beginning that i did brian kemp won under the rules that were in place what i object to are rules that permitted thousands of Georgia voters to be denied their participation in this election or to have their votes cast out.
2: Ms. Abrams, I, I, I'm going to ask you to, to please a- answer the question I asked, which is, do you, yes or no, do you still maintain the 2018 election was stolen? That's your language.
3: My full language was that it was stolen from the voters of Georgia.
0: Okay, so there's the answer. So who else would it be stolen from? Who would an election be stolen from? when you? cheat in an election, you are ultimately stealing the vote of, of the voters. So she's saying, yes, I maintain that. I maintain that the 2018, election. I maintain this without any evidence that the 2018 election was stolen from me and that Brian Kemp is illegitimate. Therefore, right? I mean, I think that's the, that's the implication. If you were to say that same thing about the 2020 presidential election, you, you would be kicked off of the internet and you might be investigated by the FBI, (laughs) and you might be called an insurrectionist and un-American. But if you say that about the 2018 Georgia governor's election, which which had far, far fewer irregularities, far less evidence in Georgia 2018 that anything weird was going on. If you said that about Georgia, you'd be celebrated. You'd, you'd You'd be Stacey Abrams herself. So she makes this argument, you know, it's really, it was racism and it, it, black votes were suppressed. So Senator Cruz because Senator Cruz. People forget he's a very good prosecutor. He's argued cases before the Supreme court. That was his old job before he got into the Senate. He comes with the receipts and he just shreds her stupid argument.
2: Do you know in Georgia, whether the percentage of of African-American Georgians who are registered to vote and who turned out to vote, is it higher or lower than the national average?
3: It is higher than the national average because Georgia is one of the largest states with an African-American population.
2: But that's not tied to the size of the population. The percentage of black Georgians who are registered to vote in 2018 is 64.7%. That compares to 60.2 percent as the national average. The percentage of Georgians who voted in 2018, the election you claim was stolen from you, was 56.3 percent. That's higher than the national average of 48 percent. Let me ask you this, Ms. Abrams. In 2018, do you know which demographic group in Georgia had the highest registration percentage and the highest turnout percentage?
3: I have a guess, but I will defer to you for the answer.
2: The answer is African Americans had the highest registration and the highest turnout, despite your claiming that the election was stolen and there was somehow voter suppression.
0: I can't tell if Stacey Abrams is dull or dishonest. This maybe not maybe isn't an either-or sort of situation, because Cruz says, "Hey, do you know you know what state did very very well? Was like a real leader in in terms of the percentage of Black voters who actually registered turned out to vote." And she said, well, uh, yes, Georgia, that's true. Uh, yeah, we were good at that with the black voters, but only because Georgia has a really big black population. You see the problem there? The percent, the percentage of black voters in Georgia that are registered or voting has nothing to do with the size of the population. It's a percentage. It's, It's okay, whatever the population is, this is the proportion of them that were registered and went out to vote. And so Cruz points that out. He says, well, are you serious right now? Are you kidding me? No. Let me explain to you what a percentage is, Stacey Abrams. And then she wises up. And then he goes on and he says, hey, do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? And eventually she says, I defer to your expertise as well she should, as well she should. It took, how long did it take? It took one minute to shred the whole argument over the voter suppression of the black people in Georgia in 2018. Took less than one minute for Ted Cruz. He's a sharp guy. Maybe it would take two minutes for other people. You could do it. Just look at the numbers. Meanwhile, when you talk about irregularities in 2020, you had in the case of Pennsylvania, election officials explicitly, obviously violating the state constitution when it comes to the use of widespread mail-in ballots but no, we're not allowed to talk about that. The issue here is that it doesn't really come down to an argument. Stacey Abrams realized, she's, she's at least sharp enough to realize, oh gosh, I'm about to get wrecked by Ted Cruz. Okay, I'll, I'll, pull up. I'll, I'll try to push back a little. Then I will humiliate myself by appearing not to understand what a percentage is. And then I will, I'll just lay back and let Cruz do it because ultimately it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how persuasive <laughs> that argument is doesn't matter how thoroughly Stacey Abrams' point is debunked. I think what the left is interested in right now is not logical argument and persuading or being persuaded. I think they're interested in the use of power, attaining political power, wielding that political power, and pushing one's will absent one's intellect or the rigor of one's logic. That's what this is really about. So you got problems in the legislature, your problems in the executive, and then into judiciary. I want to turn to LA. LA right now is ordering the city to offer homeless people housing by the fall. There's a lot of homeless people, a lot of bums and derelicts on the streets of Los Angeles, especially Skid Row. It's like a third world country. And it's amazing too, because you'll be in downtown LA and you'll be in some areas that are kind of nice they're actually pretty impressive, lots of money there. Then you make a wrong turn and you are in, you're surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of bums and drug addicts and criminals and lunatics and derelicts. And you think, how on earth is this taking place, one, in the United States and two, in what is considered to be a major city in the United States? So the judge, U.S. District Judge David Carter has uh, outlined the problems of homelessness here. And he says it's all about racism. Now, his, his premise here is wrong, but his, his po- policy conclusion, I think, actually might have some point. He says, quote, through redlining, containment, eminent domain, exclusionary zoning, and gentrification designed to segregate and disenfranchise communities of color, the city and county of Los Angeles created a legacy of entrenched structural racism. As shown most clearly in the present crisis of homelessness, the effects of structural racism continue to threaten the lives of people of color in Los Angeles. Very offensive thing he's saying. He's saying, yeah, if you're black, you're just going to live on the streets on Skid Row. Because you're black and you can't do anything. And no white people live on the streets of Skid Row. And no black people have mansions. No black people have even homes. Black people can't make it. Like LeBron James, he's living on Skid Row, right? Because of structural racism. You know, a real irony here too is, do you know who famously spent several days getting into violent altercations over crack cocaine sales on Skid Row? Do you know who did that? Hunter Biden, very famously during one of his more than week-long benders in Los Angeles, winds up on Skid Row getting into fistfights and haggling over the price of crack. Hunter Biden, last I checked, not a person of color. Not, I I don't think so. I don't know. Corn pop, maybe. But Joe Biden, or Hunter Biden, rather, I don't think so. I don't, it's not a racial thing. I don't think that structural racism forced these, uh, forced the drug addicts to take all the drugs, forced the lunatics to live on the street, forced the criminals to commit crime. I don't think structural racism caused any of that. I think uh, the brokenness of man and then the evil choices that man makes and then the uh, the erosion of one's own discipline and free will because of those evil choices and because of the, the habit of vice, I think that's what caused it. But I will say, I do think that the city of Los Angeles should house these people. I do. I actually do. It is a dysfunctional act for people to live on the street. It should not be tolerated. And what LA wants to pretend, what a lot of liberals want to pretend is that we got rid of the insane asylums in the sixties and seventies because we didn't, it was wrong. It was taking away people's freedom to put these lunatics in insane asylums. They're so much more free now that they're living in squalor on the street. No, they're not. The reason they're not free is because they're not in command of their intellect and their will. So now, so they're living in filth on the street in, in danger of physical violence all the time. That's not better than living in an insane asylum. There were two types of housing that the city of Los Angeles should provide to these bums on Skid Row. Insane asylums, which should be rebuilt. It would be an act of compassion to rebuild the insane asylums and take people living in filth on the street and put them into places that are probably not going to be very nice, but... It's going to be better than living on the street, and this is is a difficult fallen world, and if we can make a little improvement here, we should. They should either put them in insane asylums or prisons. It's a dysfunctional act to live on the street. A lot of these people, they're drug addicts. Okay, that that should be against the law where it's not. It is against the law in very many places. We should not have people strung out on meth and PCP and crack like Hunter Biden running around the streets threatening the public order put them in jail. It's a good place for them. And then who else? Just loafers and the indigent. Probably got to arrest them too because you're not, you don't have a claim. You're not allowed to live on the sidewalk. It's not good for you. It's not good for society. It's not civilized. Yes, I sort of agree with this judge for all sorts of different reasons. I agree with this judge. How's the homeless put them in jails or institutions? Absolutely. The political order is changing rapidly. You are seeing a realignment. You are seeing some people who were liberals and moderates who would, would have called themselves Democrats or on the left. They are, they're watching the left right now undermine our system of government, call for the abolition of cops, march through the streets, burning down private businesses and houses and government buildings. And they're looking at that and they're saying, I can't, can't do that. I'm out. They're seeing the left push transgender ideology on kids, castrate little children. And they're saying, I'm out. They're seeing the left defending a girl who was trying to stab another girl just to own the cops or whatever. And they're saying, I'm not part of this. You've seen that. You saw a lot of people move over to the Trump camp who were previously not engaged in politics or who are not Republicans. You are also seeing former Republicans who were liberal squishes leave the party. You're sitting, I'm referring, of course, to most famously, I guess, Bill Kristol, who was a major, major Republican figure who then left the Republican party and now supports Democrats and works in Democrat activism because he doesn't like the new direction of the Republican Party. You had the, the remaining never Trump contingent, very, there aren't very many of the never Trumpers that were left in 2020. But people like David French, for instance, or I think Jonah, Jonah Goldberg is, is still never Trump, who they don't like, I'm not even personally attacking them, I'm just saying they don't like where the Republican Party is going, so they're leaving and they will either totally check out or in some cases will actively support Democrats will actively vote for Joe Biden. And then there's George W. Bush, who was our last Republican president before Donald Trump. And George W. Bush was, I think, a little upset at the way Trump treated his brother, Jeb. And I suspect he did not vote for Donald Trump. He did not attend the RNC. And now he's coming out and and really markedly criticizing the GOP. He went on NBC News where his daughter works and he was pushing his new book, which is an art collection. I actually have one of President Bush's art, art collections. It's like a coffee table book of, of veterans. It's pretty impressive for a, uh, for an amateur, a relatively recent painter. So he's got a new one about immigrants and he was plugging the book and he took the opportunity to attack the GOP.
3: If you were to describe the Republican Party as you see it today, yeah. how would you describe it?
1: Uh, I would describe it as isolationist, protectionist, and to a certain extent, nativist. Hmm. Are you, you disappointed? Well, it's not exactly my vision, yeah. but you know what? I'm just an old guy. They put out the pasture, so <laughs> just a simple painter.
0: The simple painter. <laughs> so even if you don't like what George Bush is saying here, and I obviously have great disagreements you do remember how likable this guy is. You do. And I think it's sort of genuine. I actually have, I really do have a soft spot for George W. Bush, even though I don't like the direction that he took the Republican party. I'm very glad that his brand of conservatism is over. One can, one can have an honest disagreement here and just say, yeah, hey, you might be a nice guy, but your vision of the party, that's, that's over. That's the past. It's good that that's over. We're moving in a stronger, more conservative direction. Is the GOP isolationist now? I don't believe that. I think we're more skeptical of Wilsonian adventurism and creating Madisonian democracies in the Middle East. But I don't, I think it's unfair to call that isolationist. Is it protectionist? Well, I think we're a little, we're a little skeptical of total free trade where all of our trading partners cheat and they violate WTO treaties and they get an advantage and they illegally subsidize their steel and aluminum to, to use the and they illegally uh, inflate their currency in China. And we have to play by a different set of rules. I don't, that doesn't even seem very free to me. So yeah, we're skeptical of that. Nativist, what does that word even mean? We think that the government of the United States should protect the citizens of the United States more than foreigners? Yeah, duh. That's what every country should do. It's not a racial thing. There are a lot of Native Americans. I'm a Native American. LeBron James is a Native American. A lot of people born in this country. All different sorts of races and backgrounds. But we take in millions and millions of people every year, more than any other country in the world by a country mile. And we have something like, I think 51 million immigrants or something living in the country right now. It's a lot. And if you're not going to assimilate people, that, that really does threaten the integrity of your culture and your country not saying it's because we hate the Mexicans or something. It's just, you can't, if you have a totally open border, you don't have a country anymore. Is that nativist? No, come on, give me a break. And now President Bush, very, very upset and worried about Afghanistan because Joe Biden has an, Trump started it and now Biden is concluding it, saying we're going to pull out of Afghanistan. George Bush doesn't like that very
1: much. My first reaction was, wow, these girls are going to have real trouble with the Taliban. Mm. And a lot of gains have been made and, uh, and so I'm deeply concerned about the plight of women and girls in, 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 in that country. You think we should have held off on that decision? Well, I think we'll see. I mean, the time will tell. I, I, I think the administration hopes that the girls are going to be okay through yeah. diplomacy. Uh, we'll find out. I, all I know is the Taliban, when they f- had the run of the place, they were brutal. Yeah. yeah. Brutal.
3: Yeah. Um, do you, can you believe it's been 20 years since we went in there?
1: Uh, You know, uh, we went into Korea in 52. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We went into Germany in 42 or 44. Yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, yeah, 20 years. I guess you're going to say, can you believe that (laughs) office you were in there first 20 years ago? Yeah. Time flies. Time
0: flies. And so uh, all I wish George Bush has an honest position here, which is that we should stay in Afghanistan forever, I guess. But because at a certain point you leave and then guess who's coming back? The, these tribal warriors and the Taliban. So the, the girls are going to be in just as bad a position whether we leave today or we leave in a hundred years. You're not going to root that out. You're not going to totally transform Afghanistan, which is a very ancient place, into some into Fifth Avenue or something. But I, I just wish he were honest about it and say, look, my, my vision is an American global empire and I support that on the basis of a sort of abstract liberalism and following in the footsteps of Woodrow Wilson, say. And so, yeah, we're never going to leave and we're going to invade more countries and we're going to make them more like us. And that's the way it's going to be. But that argument wouldn't work. It obviously isn't going to work. And I I don't even think they'd admit it. Let's not forget the Bushes have never been particularly conservative. George Jeb called illegal immigration an act of love. George W called himself a compassionate conservative. As opposed to what? The heartless conservatives? George H.W. Bush said he wanted a kinder, gentler nation. Nancy Reagan famously asked, kinder and gentler than whom? Meaning Reagan, you know, the more conservative guy. And Prescott Bush helped to found Planned Parenthood. Okay? So it's not, I, I have a piece on this at the Daily Wire too. So it's not, not even an attack on the Bushes. Just saying they represent the liberal wing of the Republican party. Now we're moving back to a more conservative part of the Republican party. Bushes have represented the liberal wing of that party since 1952, at least. And now we're moving in a more conservative direction. That's a good thing. And it's going to, you're going to hear a lot of heartstrings and a lot of narratives and a lot of, of unpersuasive arguments. We ought to keep our eyes on justice. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. Supervising Producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production Manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and Associate Producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio Mixer, Mike Coramina, Hair and Makeup by Nika Geneva. And Production Coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire
2: 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, the media lie about systemic police racism. The White House, the media, and LeBron James target a police officer for shooting a black teenager who was trying to stab another black teenager. And the Biden administration cracks down on police departments. So everything is going great.
1: That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.